Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, if Jameis Winston turns out to be a bust this season, could you see Bruce Arians walking away after 2019? And who on the Bucks is playing their way into a job? Who might be playing their way out of one? If the Rays get past the one-game wildcard playoff, do you see them making their way past any of the division winners? And do you get a sense of rejuvenation from the USF football community? We've got all that, and we'll update you on the Bucks injuries as well on this mailbag edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor this podcast or a portion of it, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. So for information, here's what you do. Contact us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. All right, before we get started, a little update on the Bucks injuries. Mike Evans, who has uh, what I believe is like a quad injury. Now, understand they don't put out injury lists, so we don't actually know the uh, literal nature of some of these unless Bruce Arians volunteers that he is not with Mike. We did see him pull up a couple days ago. Looks like a quad or a leg injury of some kind. He did not practice on Tuesday. I would think that that would mean uh, while he's day-to-day, it's probably unlikely they play him in Friday's game. I mean, he's not going to play at all next week at Dallas. So, you know, why risk it? They know what Mike Evans can do, and you certainly want him healthy for the San Francisco game. On the other hand, Ronald Jones, who had a bit of an injury, and if you watched the last preseason game, you want to see what happened to him. It was on the kickoff. Uh, the field was wet. He takes kind of an awkward stumble, and his leg buckles a little bit. Um, sort of, I guess you would say, may have hyperextended his knee to some degree. You know, Bruce Arians has said there's a little bit of swelling. He was back at practice, though, which is a really good sign if you're a Ronald Jones fan. And I think there's probably a chance he would play a little bit in this game on Friday night against the Browns, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But he was back, so a good sign certainly for Ronald Jones. Not so much for Mike Evans, but again, I think a lot of that's precautionary. Another thing uh, we were able to witness at least, uh, and this has gone on for some time, but Justin Evans, their safety that's been on the physically unable to perform list, was running and running hard, running fast sprints uh, in practice or on the side, one of the side fields, while practice was open to the media. So uh, he seems to be getting closer. Bruce Arians gave no real timetable for his return either. You could be looking at a situation that if he's not able to to play next week, that maybe they start him on the physically unable to perform list and might be one of those guys they bring back, you know, uh, during for recall during the season. We'll have to see how that goes. So that's the update on the Bucks injuries. And with that, We've got uh, lots of good questions from our mailbag uh, listeners today, so let's get started. Well, I'm going to change it up since you mentioned Ronald Jones. And Buck North mm-hmm. asks, One of the puzzling questions about last Friday's preseason game was having Ronald Jones return kicks on a wet field. Do you think this was done to toughen up a guy who last year appeared to not have his head in the game? But why risk your potential starting running back to injury? 
You know, I was thinking the same thing. It's a great question. Um, you're going to play on wet fields, so there's that. The Bucks have practiced a lot indoors, and they haven't gotten much experience using a wet ball or, you know, uh, footing on a wet field, which could happen week one against San Francisco. I think the the thing about Ronald Jones is they, they want to see various ways to, to, to get him to make plays. And, you know, they're going to have to come up with a kickoff return man I don't know that Ronald Jones will be doing that. In my mind, he's too valuable to put back there unless he's a dynamic kick returner to begin with. I don't know that that's ever really been his forte. I know there are other guys that have done it on this team and, and can do it you know, fairly efficiently. But I just think it's another way to hopefully have him make a play and gain some confidence. Unfortunately, as I just mentioned, that's exactly the way he got hurt. Um, he seemed to lose his balance on a wet field. The, the knee sort of hyperextended and – He's had some swelling on it as a result. Now, again, I don't think it's to the level that we saw with Levante David when they said he had some swelling on his knee and he ended up with meniscus surgery. But in as much as they almost lost him on that play, you know, um, you, that's one of the things you always consider when you put starters back there or potential starters on special teams. You, you're going to, you know, sort of risk injury. So I think that, that that's one of those where they're trying to get him going not to toughen them up because, I mean, wet field's not really going to toughen you up. It's just, you know, what are other ways we can use Ronald Jones? Because he's not going to carry the ball on, you know, on every down. He's not going to be your third down back most likely. We saw that when he almost got Jameis Winston killed. So what are other ways we can utilize his speed? And certainly kick return is one of those. Okay, Russian bot asks, you always hear that the NFL is a business when it comes to contracts and personnel decisions. Yet Jason Light signs a new deal a month ago because of his relationship with Bruce Arians, and you could argue Mike Smith stayed around too long because of his relationship with Dirk Cutter. So what gives? Well, it is a it is a business, and uh, part of that business, like any business, is relationships. Um, there is definitely something to, uh, you know, coaches who have coached together in the past. I mean, you look at Bruce Arians' coaching staff, for example. You know, some of these players, some of these coaches played for him at Temple, going far back thirty years, coached with him in his first head coaching job at Temple, guys like Clyde Christensen, uh, you know, Todd Bowles played for him. All, all three of his coordinators were players for him at one time or another. So it's a relationship business of football, like any business. I think a lot of people get their jobs because of who they know. They have to be qualified, but they've worked with somebody who has made their way up the chain and is a, a position of hiring, and then they reach back and hire people that they've worked with before and know will do a good job for them. So that's that's not that unique to football. Maybe it's just uh, a little more common to see, you know, coaching staffs sort of migrate and follow each other behind a certain head coach to various places like you're seeing now with Bruce Arians. Uh, we saw it with Lovey Smith when he came here from Chicago. A lot of his Bears coaches came here as well. So that's sort of been what the NFL has been and, and maybe sometimes to its demise because there is at times a good old boy network and doesn't allow for – you know, a lot of new faces, but we've seen that change even recently because now they're hiring 36-year-old, you know, something coaches. With respect to, you know, Jason Light, he worked one year, I think uh, the first year that Bruce Arians was in Arizona, and he was not the GM. He was, I think, director of player personnel. But Bruce obviously worked very closely with him on the personnel side and got to know him and had a relationship. And, and as we said the other night, talking about Jason Light's deal, you know, Bruce Arians was retired. He did not have to come back and, and work in football. I think he had a desire to do that. Uh, he's taught, told the story, you know, working for CBS 
um, being on the field wanting to coach Tyrone Matthew one day and realizing that wasn't his role. But I think the opportunity, you know, sort of all, as he says, you know, everything kind of conspired. It was almost serendipitous that everything came together here in Tampa Bay. First of all, he had a quarterback that he liked and had known since eighth grade in Jameis Winston and believed in. And quarterback is the, the number one thing that you look at when you're trying to decide, you know, whether you want to be a head coach in a particular team or not, if you have leverage, if you're not just looking for one of 32. And so he looked at that. And then, you know, the other thing was, could he retain or, or hire most of his staff? And he certainly did that. And then some, because they have like 32 assistants on their staff. Uh, and Jason Light, he was comfortable with. So, you know, he wanted a GM that he knew he could work for or work with. And Jason was there. Now, is it a coincidence that if Jason Light is heading the search for a, a new head coach and Dirk Cutter, who he hired, didn't work out, that he would he would go find somebody who would be acceptable, um, where he would be acceptable to them as to remain the GM? No, it's not a coincidence. I'm not saying that's the sole reason why the Bucks, you know, picked Bruce Arians. I think you have to look at at the field and who was hired and who they interviewed. I don't believe any of the other guys they interviewed had ever been head coaches before for starters. They were interviewing a lot of offensive and defensive coordinators, young guys primarily. You know, here was a here was a unique opportunity to get a guy that's a two-time NFL coach of the year that had pretty much said, I'm done, to come back out of retirement, even at age 66, and want to be a quarterback whisperer. And if they're guilty of something – Maybe it's maybe it's doing it for the wrong reasons, and I don't mean Jason Light specifically, um, but you know if you if you look through history with the Glazers, particularly um, once Malcolm was not the one making the decisions, the Bucks haven't always done things for the right reasons, right? Um, in other words, what I mean by that, let's just look at you know the hirings they've had sort of over the years. You know when John Gruden was fired, he had still he had still been winning and getting into the postseason, you know, and they had signed him to a three-year contract. Well, I don't think they fired him because they didn't believe he could coach anymore. I think they fired him because they knew he wanted free agents, and they had three years of an uncapped system because of the CBA expiring where they absolutely wanted to maximize profits, and they had some debt retirement to do on Manchester United. This is my theory. No one has, no one has stated this. But they wanted the payroll to go the other way. They were able to control their bottom line. There was no minimum salary. So they didn't fire John Gruden because he was a bad coach. They fired him because he wasn't on board with their plan of going young, gutting the roster, and starting over with younger, i.e. cheaper players. And that's not what John wanted to do. They knew it wasn't manageable, so they fired him. Um, you know, Greg Schiano was hired. It was kind of a taskmaster coach because they believed that, that Raheem Morris lacked discipline. And, you know, very often that happens. You get the opposite of what you had, an experienced young head coach. Don't feel like he has control of his team to, you know, a guy who's been a head coach but is a taskmaster. So that, that sometimes happens as well. They get Lovey Smith because they want to calm the waters down and get a guy that they know that they're familiar with and comfortable with um, that has won before. But they fire Lovey Smith because they want to retain Dirk Cutter because Dirk's getting, you know, offers from San Francisco or interviews from the 49ers, and they want continuity for Jameis Winston. So they, you know, they, they retain Dirk Cutter um, and fire Lovey Smith, maybe not solely because Lovey had done a bad job, but because they, they preferred, you know, helping this quarterback. Well, why is Bruce Arians here? And why is Jason Light still here? 
because they're still chasing the quarterback's potential. Um, you know, those guys are here because they believe Jameis Winston, they want him so badly to be to fill his potential. And so Bruce Arians is the latest manifestation of that, and him and Jason Light and, and the whole organization, as John Romano wrote, are going to chase it down the rabbit hole and try to pull Jameis Winston's potential out of him. So, you know, is Bruce Arians the best coach they could get right now? Is this the best strategy? Is the GM the best GM they could hire? None of that really matters because the reason they did this was to save the quarterback, which they think will lead to winning in the future. And so, you know, it's it's all sort of related in a sense, and you can argue that, you know, maybe the approach is, is, is not right, uh, but maybe the thought is, is noble. Um, but that's why Jason Light is here. He's here because they were able to hire Bruce Arians as a result of keeping him here. And they thought the number one thing this team needed was a coach who could not only turn around the franchise's direction, but also do it with this quarterback at this time, which is a critical time because he doesn't have a contract beyond this season. All right, Jim asked, despite his contract and Jason Light's extension, if Jameis Winston turns out to be a bust this season, could you see Bruce Arians walking away after just this one season? It's a great question. Um, anything is possible, including that. He's 66 years old, so let's just agree that, you know, with a four-year contract and a fifth-year option, it's probably less likely or more likely, un- more unlikely than likely he will complete all five of those years. Um, at that point, he'd be 71 years old, right? So let- let's just go on that alone. We don't know what his health has been. He's never, you know, been a head coach where he didn't have at least one trip to the hospital during the season. He's not calling plays. We've got to see how that works out. I think he's here for Jameis Winston, and, and, and I suppose Jameis could play so poorly that they don't offer him, you know, a franchise tender or, you know, don't re-sign him to an extended contract sort of thing. That's always a possibility. My personal feeling is, you know, if he plays 16 games, he's going to play well enough um, to – to do two things. One, keep them out of the sweepstakes, you know, for the top two or three quarterbacks in the draft, which you'd have to have a top five pick for. They'll probably be picking later than that. Um, and two, you know, he's going to put up 4,000, 4,500 yards, 26, 27 touchdowns. You know, he'll play well enough to say, yeah, let's, let's do this again. We're on the right path. It was his first year in the offense. What can he do in his second year if we, if we fortify the defense more, if we add some offensive linemen to him, you know, all those things. And so I've never – when they hired Bruce Arians, even though Jameis doesn't have a contract beyond this year, I have always looked at this as a two-year proposition in that, you know, they're not looking to start over. Now, you know, if, it, if it's just a carpet bomb situation where they go 2-14, and 14, all bets are off, including Arians coming back or Jason Light or anybody. You know, and and they would be looking to draft one of those top two or three quarterbacks. So that would change everything. You know, if you have the nuclear option, um, could there could that occur with Bruce's age, with you know, sort of being all in on Winston? Absolutely, it's a it's an absolute possibility. We've seen it, we've seen it in Cleveland. Now, bad organizations do it all the time. You know, coaches are one and done. I don't think that's the intent. I never thought that was the intent. And I, for that reason, I'm pretty confident if Jameis does what I think he'll do or just what he's done statistically over his, over his career when he's played, 
he's going to play well enough to warrant at least a franchise tender, um, if not, you know, a whole, you know, re-signing of a new contract of some kind. So um, that's that's sort of what I think. I think it's at least two years. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see if they if the bottom falls out, if that doesn't change everything. Steven asks, if the Bucks are going to be in playoff contention this year, they have to do well during the horrible seven-week road stretch. What do you think is a realistic record in those games? Is it two and three, three and two, or some other record? Well, you know, we tried to do this a year ago, and we knew Jameis Winston wasn't going to be available for the first three games because he was suspended. And at that time, you know, everybody said, hey, you know, if they could just avoid 0-3, <laughs> If they could just go one and two in those first two games, because, I mean, at New Orleans, eh, I don't know. You know, home against the Super Bowl champions, boy, Philadelphia is really good. And then, um, you know, it was home against the Pittsburgh Steelers on a Monday night. That seemed daunting as well. So the thought was, yeah, just, you know, the season will be on skates. If they can just get through this one and two, and look, two and one, I mean, hey. You know, then you're cooking with gas. Well, they went. They won their first two games, as we all remember. You know, upset at New Orleans, um, scored a club record number of points. Come back, four more touchdowns against Philadelphia. They win there, and then you know another three, four hundred yard game against the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but lost that one. And what happened? Well, the wheels came off. <laughs> they weren't very good. They gave up way too many points on defense. They were exposed by the Chicago Bears. That was Fitzpatrick's last start. You know, Jameis Winston jumped in, played okay, then melted down himself and was benched again. And, you know, you just don't know. So my thought is this, that if you can be just below 500, if you can go two and three, certainly three and two, anything above that would be gravy, I think they would be just fine because, again, you know, the NFL is, is just such that you just got to hang around 500. You really do. I mean, you get to 7-7 seven and seven with two weeks to play. If you can go 9-7, and seven, your name's going to be on the board for at least a wild card. I don't know you're going to win the division with nine wins. It's happened before, but it hasn't happened in a while. You're going to need 10, 11, 12. But, you know, to me, that, that would be a good sign, particularly with a new offensive scheme, a new defensive scheme, a ton of travel, you know, games at Los Angeles, at New Orleans – um, that's, that's sort of the tougher gauntlet. And then, you know, when they get back here, which is going to be a long time down the road in November, um, the schedule certainly turns in their favor a little bit. So let's just say anything near 500, two and three, three and two, certainly anything better than that, they'd be in fine shape. Ellis asked us on the current Bucks roster, who is playing their way into a job and who's playing their way out? You know the guy, it might seem somewhat obvious, and, and we'll have to see if he does keep three quarterbacks or not because that will depend on the other positions and just you know how many guys are healthy and how many they're going to carry on the team that aren't quite ready to play. Uh, but Ryan Griffin has had another outstanding you know, preseason. I mean, he's Mr. August. We all know that. And he leads the NFL, it seems, in passing yards every year except the year he got hurt, and I thought he had a decent chance then to beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick. But because Nick Fitzgerald, if you remember um, you know, the – Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Mississippi State quarterback that they got, you know, he ended up hurting his hamstring playing beach volleyball before the start of training camp, which is two really bad ideas, beach volleyball before the start of training camp and then the timing of that. He was probably going to be their third quarterback slash, you know, extra wide receiver, punt protector, special teams, athlete freak that they were going to have. And now because Nick hasn't gotten on the field, you know, that has sort of elevated Ryan Griffin, I think. And Griffin has done such a good job. And Bruce Arians knew nothing about him. You know, other than what, obviously, Jason Light had told him, but it was a new offensive scheme, didn't know how he would fit in that, and he's responded and played really, really well. So I think that even though Blaine Gabbert is going to be their number two quarterback, there's a really good chance that they will carry three. And once again, Ryan Griffin, all say it together, who's never taken a snap in a regular season game, um, will be back perhaps for like his sixth season, which is un- unbelievable in the NFL and then back with the Bucks as well. One of the guys I think that, that really played his way not only onto the team but into a significant role perhaps is their running back, Daria Gumbawale. Uh, this guy, you know, was cut from his team at Wisconsin. He's been cut I think four or five times in the NFL. He's been with several teams, including the Houston Texans. The Bucks cut him several times. And Dari came in here and has run hard inside and has, has really put himself in – the potential role of even being a third down back. He's a good receiver. Um, I think it's a battle between him and Andre Ellington, who I think will make the team. I think they'll keep four running backs. Ellington, though, has not played well in the games. He had a fumble the other night, just really uh, you know, missed some blocks as well. The guy that's sort of not shown up is the undrafted free agent out of North Dakota State, Bruce Anderson. This really hasn't done much in the games. You don't hear his name much you know, during practices and things like that, so – We'll have to see. I don't I don't know if, if you say he's played his way out, but he just hasn't stood out enough. And then, you know, the receiver situation, which we touched on a little bit, Scotty Miller could have sat his way out, and he's going to have two games now to show that he belongs. He had a good offseason, OTAs, but we all know that doesn't mean anything until you put the pads on and actually go out there and compete. And now Miller will be in this game on Friday night as a, as a kick returner, I would expect, either punts or kickoffs or both. He'll also probably have to run down and cover some kicks. And certainly they're going to try to get the ball in his hands deep and uh, see if he can, you know, get off the line of scrimmage and get behind the defense a few times. So he still has two games to play his way into it, but he may have played his way out of it just by, again, not being available. And I know that Arians is looking forward to seeing him and seeing what he can do, but it's going to be a very short view because they've only got a couple weeks, less than a couple weeks, really, to make those decisions. Ren asks, how many draft picks don't make the initial 53 and who, if any? All right, so let's just run down the list here. That's the easiest way to do it. We know Devin White's going to be the captain of their defense. Certainly he's making the team at number five overall. Sean Murphy Bunting has had sort of two nondescript games. The first one was actually awful that he played in Pittsburgh. Got a little bit better, you know, in their last game. And I think that he makes the team. I thought he would compete for a starting job. It looks to me like MJ Stewart might be their starting nickel corner or slot corner. Nonetheless, I think because he's a second-round pick and they like his upside, um, that Murphy Bunning will make the team. James, or Jamel Dean, I'm sorry, 
had the interception the other night. He was banged up for a little bit. Certainly he has lots of promise. He's going to make this football team as well, maybe not as a starter but a solid backup. Mike Edwards was penciled in for the most part as a starter until he became injured. Uh, he should uh, hopefully be back in this game on Friday against Cleveland. We'll have to wait and see, although he hasn't practiced, so maybe he won't be. Maybe he'll just get one game. He makes the team. Again, don't know if he's able to start just based on his health. The guy that the guys I don't know about so much, one of them is Anthony Nelson, the linebacker, outside linebacker from Iowa. They need edge rushers really badly. Nelson was a guy they were really high on, but you know he ended up uh, with sort of an MCL injury, I think, and you know those can take up to four weeks. He may not play this preseason, so you could see a situation where either he's on PUP or maybe they release him and try to sign him back to a practice squad. But he's a fourth-round pick, so they'll probably want to protect him and not put it subject him to waivers because there's certainly other teams that liked him coming out in the draft. But, you know, he has not really been able to perform at all. Matt Gay is on his football team, in my opinion. That means Kyle Santos will not be, but, you know, he'll, I think he has a chance to kick in the NFL, whether he's traded or just picked up. All right, we've already talked about Scotty Miller. We know that he has to play. Uh, he's on the bubble for sure, so I wouldn't say that he's on the football team by any means. And then Terry Beckner Jr., has done some nice things, but only as a nose tackle or a defensive tackle. They'd like to see him be a little more versatile along that three-man front, and he's really mostly played nose inside. So he is he is still up in the air. I think the injury to Vita Vea, though, will probably command him to, to probably stay because they don't have a ton of depth at those positions. And it's not unusual, as as this may well be the case, that all your draft picks make the football team. Now, usually that doesn't spread maybe all the way to the seventh round. But let's face it, they like their players better than the players that were here that didn't perform a year ago. So, you know, very often you'll see that initial draft class, you'll see all – six or seven of those guys make the football team. I think that'll be the case more likely than not. Maybe one or two don't, but for the most part, I think all these guys will, will still be on the roster in some fashion when you know the cuts are finally made. All right, we'll switch to the Rays now. And Les ask, should the Rays get past the one-game playoff, do you see them making any noise against one of the division winners? Their inconsistent offense has me worried. Six runs and 31 innings against the Tigers isn't very reassuring. It's not reassuring, and seeing that that team would most likely be the Yankees as the standings are right now, or possibly Houston, I think both those ball clubs are, especially in a series, are better than the Rays. We've seen it during the regular season series, of course, with the Yankees. Now they did win three out of four of the first series, you know, of the season against Houston. I don't know that that would be the case, you know, in a playoff situation. I mean, they've added, you know, guys like Zach Greinke, for example, um, to their rotation. So, that would they they're going to face a tough out no matter who whom they play, uh, and it would be an achievement just to get to that series. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, for example, let's say, what if they got Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now back, and you had a situation at some point in that series where Snell and Glass now Snell starts as the opener, Glass now comes in, and then you turn it over to the bullpen. You, you'd feel pretty good about what you were throwing up against the Yankees. And yet they, you know, until you win at Yankee Stadium consistently, and they haven't done that for a number of years, you'd give the Yankees a huge edge. You'd give Houston a huge edge because they're a World Series team not that long ago. And I just don't think that the offense is doing enough. If they get some guys back and they start to get, you know, hitterish, as Joe Madden would say, depending on how they're playing at the time that they go into the series, maybe maybe a hot offense would help them. 
But we know that pitching dominates these postseasons for the most part. And the Yankees, you know, certainly would seem to have tougher outs than the Rays do in their lineup. So I would give the edge to either of those teams. I, I'd be very surprised if, if, in fact, they make it beyond the wild card play-in game if they were to win a series, uh, you know, in, in the American League playoffs. I, I just don't with – those, with those teams in front of them, I don't see it happening. Okay, Brian asked a question about the USA Today article that was published the other day called MLB Lifers Decry the State of Modern Baseball, quote, unwatchable. And he says, normally these kinds of articles sound like old men telling you to get off their lawn. However, I'm starting to agree with the constant strikeouts making the game boring. What are your thoughts on the strikeouts? And they touch on managers using metrics too much and losing a feel for the game. Well, we've touched on this a little bit. I mean, you know, the other day or a week or so ago, you know, when – Kevin Cash went and, and got the ball with one out to go in a one to nothing game and prevented a complete game. I mean, the metrics are here to stay. The shifts are here to stay unless they outlaw them. And baseball has talked about that very possibility of, of you know, limiting or outlawing shifts in Major League Baseball. Look, all I know is this, is that the game has fundamentally changed in those two ways in that, you know, a strikeout is no longer considered a bad at bat. It's not a good at bat, but it's not the worst outcome, right? Um, and, and because of that, or maybe the result is, is, is because that, that players are going up there and they're trying to hit the ball out of the park. We've heard a lot about hit velocity and launch angle. And I truly believe that that's why one of the reasons, in addition to the baseball, I think is juiced. Uh, one of the reasons you see such a huge uptick every year, they're setting a new record in major league baseball for home runs. And it's because the approaches are different, you know, with two strikes, and again, to sound like, you know, the get off the, my lawn guy with two strikes, the, the goal was to not strike out, to try to put the ball in play, force the defense to have to react and make a play, um, even if that meant, you know, cutting down on the swing or choking up. Now those guys get up and they're swinging from the heels. If they get three, if they get three swings, all three of them look like the first swing, okay? They're, they're trying to launch with everything they've got. And that's just the new approach. And you know, I, I don't know that it's going to change. I, I do, you know, the interesting thing about baseball is it's, you know, at some point we, and, and you could blame, you know, part of this is the steroid era, right, when baseball turned a blind eye and everybody else did too during the McGuire and Sosa and all of that home run chase stuff when we found out that the players were, were juiced and not the baseballs. But I think people realized as, you know, they, they said in the commercials, chicks dig the long ball. Everybody loves to see home runs. Who doesn't want to see how far a guy can hit a baseball? But the trade-off in that has been, okay, well, if you're going to pay for that, if, if that's you know, sort of what teams are, are going to you know, focus you know, their salaries on, et cetera, then we're all going to go up there and try to launch. And it doesn't matter if you're a power-hitting you know, DH or first baseman or – a guy that plays second base, you're going to try to hit as many home runs as you can. And so byproduct of that is strikeouts, less balls in play, longer pauses between action equals a bunch of, four, a b- bunch of bored people, specifically um, you know, younger people, I think, that, that you know, are used to constant action in everything they do and stimulation. So I'm, I'm one that I'm one of those older guys too. I would like to see a return to the ball in play. I like to watch guys make plays in the outfield or the infield. You know, one of the things they should consider, in my opinion, it will never happen, but you know, 
back in the day when the game was invented and and they played it for hundreds of years or over a hundred years, the ballparks were were gargantuan. I mean, there were certain parks you couldn't hit it out of if you picked it up and hit it twice, and because of that. Um, you know, you could shoot the ball in the alleys and, and there were a lot of triples and there were, you know, a lot of space out there um, where you were rewarded for hitting a line drive someplace. Now the ballparks are so small, you either hit it out or, you're, or it isn't out. And, you know, there, there's things they can do to, to try to find the mama bear. But, I, Steve, I don't know how you feel. I think the pendulum has shifted way too far into the home run strikeout realm uh, and I don't know how we're going to get it back. Yeah, I believe 36% of plate appearances now are either strikeouts, home runs, or walks, which means mm. you know, there's not a play to be made in the field. So mm. more than one out of every three at-bats results in that. That's brutal. I mean, one of the things I've always said baseball has an issue with right now is, is if Mike Trout's the best player in the game, he'll get four at-bats a game in a three-hour game, and maybe he makes two or three plays in the outfield. So for three hours, you see him six or seven times in the game. Where, for instance, basketball, LeBron James touches the ball almost every time down the court, or Kevin Durant or whoever else. Football, the quarterback touches the ball every offensive play. You know, baseball, you know, one of the issues it has is how do you market your stars when your stars aren't as prevalent in every game? I mean, they make some great plays, and, and you know, and some of their at-bats are incredible, but you can go 45 minutes and not see Mike Trout on the game if you're watching the Angels. Mm-hmm. Or That's right. Or Ronald Acuna or Bryce Harper, name your superstar. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and especially with less balls in play, now the fielding part of it becomes less. You're seeing those stars less. Yeah, you know what you're also seeing? You're not seeing base runners. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not seeing guys stealing bases. I mean, you think about Ricky Henderson and, and uh, you know, and Tim Raines and, you know, guys that could go from first to third and, you know, it, it is. It's too much emphasis on one dimension of the game at, at the exclusion of action and the exclusion of, mm-hmm. of you know, great throws, great, great outfield play. Look, I, I'm, I love watching Kevin Kiermaier play center field, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see him have more than three chances a day, you know, um, because he's spectacular. And same thing with Mike Trout. So you're denying the fans, you know, the ability to, to sort of, witness all their skills and it just turns into a home run hitting contest which we like but maybe not so much for three hours every every game all right eric asked have you gotten a sense of rejuvenation from the community in regards to usf football at least social media seems a lot louder about them this year it does seem louder and i have gotten that sense steve i don't know how you are i look i think that usf is on the uptick no matter what and i think a lot of it is due in no small part to their new AD, Mike Kelly, who has done a great job coming in here. Mm-hmm. Um, he is their biggest cheerleader in a sense. I know they got a big fundraising campaign to try to build a, a football facility over there. You know, why not get excited about them? I mean, you know, Blake Barnett is back. Uh, they've got Kerwin Bell as their offensive coordinator. I think you just we mentioned know- the two biggest things. Yeah, I mean, Kerwin Bell is going to be fantastic. You know, last year they were looking to replace Quentin Flowers, the best player in USF history. Mm-hmm. And... Blake Barnett did adequate, although he got hurt some. But having a a quarterback coming back for his second season is so important in college football. It It really is. It it means a lot. And then to have an offensive coordinator like Kerwin Bell coming in, which Mm -hmm. I think is just going to take what they did last year to another level, 
and and Charlie Strong being a defensive coach, you hope can fix the defense from what happened last year. And they've got some good transfers and and some guys there. So I, I think there's a, a reason to be higher on US. I was scared about USF last year and, and and losing Quentin Flowers and trying to replace that and such. This year I'm a lot more optimistic based on what I think they're going to do offensively, and I think the defense will get better too. And you've got winnable big games to start the season. You've got Wisconsin right. coming here, which is a winnable game. I, I think Wisconsin will be favored, but for sure. But that is winnable, and you can win at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Well, look, if they take care of those two, it's, the USF's going to be on the national radar pretty quickly. Um, you know, Wisconsin is ranked in the top 25 entering the season, so you take them down, take down another, you know, a, another ACC power after, or not power, but an ACC program after that. You know, that, that would be really a, a nice start for Charlie Strong. Now, talk to me you know, in, in about a week or so, because if Wisconsin comes in here and just like, you know, runs it down their throat, which they're capable of doing, mm-hmm. um, that, that might, that might take the wind out of the sails pretty quickly. But I think that's why you play, you play those big teams, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good measurement. They've got everything to gain, obviously, and it can set the tone for a great season, win or lose. If you play them tough, um, you know, if you go head to head against the top 25 team and then go and move on from there and win a game against Georgia tech, you're mm-hmm. still, you're still in great shape. I was so say, even I, if you I go am, one and one, it's it's preparing yeah. you for oh, yeah. for UCF for Cincinnati, who no are question. you know predicted to finish ahead of you in your division in in, in the AAC. And those are no both question. you know UCF's ranked. You, Cincinnati got votes, um, but yeah. it's outside the top twenty five. But those teams expected to you know be in the top twenty five or close all season. So playing teams like Wisconsin and Georgia Tech is good for the fan base because it gets mm-hmm. excitement. But it's also preparing you for the, the better teams in your division. The teams will be will be sharpened, and, and I think it gets energy at Raymond James for USF football. Look, there's going to be a lot of Wisconsin fans. Prepare for it. They travel well. There'll mm-hmm. be a lot of red in that stadium. That's fine. But it'll be a great atmosphere for college football, and that's what they need over there. They need the atmosphere, and winning helps. But if people go and have a good time and they see a good product, you know, everybody talks about why are they doing these two-for-ones and whatnot. Well, because they got to fill that building. You know, you have to find a way to get people interested in USF football, and one way you do that is to play good good football teams, whether you have two on the road or not. So I think it's a great decision by all those guys that continue to do it. They've continued to schedule those games in the future, and um, I think it's the right thing to do. Well, speaking of college football, we're going to have an expert on. We can ask this question and more to Matt Baker. Our college football writer will be on with us tomorrow. We can talk about USF, preview the Florida-Miami game this weekend. Also, He's had a number of top 50 lists, like the top 50 greatest players in college football history in the state of Florida and others. So Matt Baker tomorrow is on the podcast with us. Always a great guest. The Rays have a day game. They wrap up their series against the Seattle Mariners. The Bucks will have another practice, of course, in preparation for their Friday game against the Cleveland Browns. No access to the media uh, on Thursday, but then they get ready to play on Friday. So Thanks for listening. We're here every Monday through Friday. We appreciate each and every one of you. For Steve Verstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.